0: Well, I'm going to start a new uh, sermon series today called Why, and um, I usually do this uh, once a year or so, and we take a lot of the foundational beliefs and practices um, of our Christian faith and doctrine and practices of the church and kind of walk through those. And for some of y'all, y'all be going, yeah, I know all that, but... For most of us if we open our minds and hearts we can learn a little something again about the foundations of those things and some of you who may be visiting or been visiting for a while might be going I always wondered why y'all do this or why does the church do that because all of us didn't necessarily grow up in church right and or if you did you grew up in another place in another church and they do things differently so we're going to kind of walk through that but today I thought it was appropriate to talk about why freedom and um we're all free, but what are we free for, right? Um, And freedom, whether we really grasp that or not, is really not free, is it? It really isn't. Um, When we go to a sporting event, uh, whether it's the Braves game today or Atlanta United or, or whatever, Falcons game or high school football game, most of the time somebody stands up at the beginning of that game and sings the Star Spangled Banner, which is our national anthem. And when they get to that climactic phrase that comes this at the very end and they go, oh, the land of the free. And everybody starts, what? I know that's a terrible note. (laughs) Bonnie's not going, I gotta get that guy on stage. (laughs) Um, But when they hit free, what does everybody start doing? Cheer. Yeah, exactly. They don't even wait for home of the brave, right? It's just right into that, because that's kind of our mentality. Well, um, Tim Keller, in one of his uh, books, talks about, you know, um, that melody line in our culture highlights freedom as the main theme and value of our society. Freedom is really important to our culture, and freedom has um, has become to be defined as the absence of any limitations or any constraints on us in our life. And by this definition, the fewer boundaries we have on our choices and actions, the freer we seem to be ourselves. But held in this forum, he argues that the narrative has gone wrong and that mindset about freedom really does damage. Modern modern freedom is the freedom of self-assertion. I am free if I may do whatever I want. But defining freedom this way, he says, is unworkable because it's an impossibility. Some of y'all who really think that way, did you hear what he said? It's an impossibility to think of freedom means I can do whatever I want. And the older we get, we kind of figure that out. We need some kind of norms. We need some kind of constraints on our actions if we're to actually live together in peace. And freedom is not so much the absence of restrictions as finding the right ones, those that fit with the realities of our own nature from our Creator and those of the world from our Creator. With that in mind on this independence or... 4th of July weekend, how do you and I really think about and process the concept of freedom? Do you think it as being to do whatever you want to do? I remember having that misconception as a, I don't know, a kid thinking, if I can just get out of here, I can do whatever I want. And man, has that broken down over the years. <laughs> I mean, one of the ones was I can eat Anything I want, and I can eat wherever I want. You ever had that feeling when you're good? And then you get out there, and after a couple of meals at Chick-fil-A and McDonald's and Burger King, you're like, yeah, this isn't so great. I'm really not that free as I thought I was. But I think that I would have to agree with Tim Keller that that's an impossibility to really think that that is what freedom is, doing whatever I want to do, because freedom is not free, is it? It really isn't. The first time that really dawned on me, I'm embarrassed to say, is that I was a young youth minister at a church. I was serving Mount Carmel Christian Church. And I remember seeing a wheelchair from behind. And on the wheelchair, on the back of this man's wheelchair, was this these words, that phrase, freedom is not free. And I was curious who was in the wheelchair. As I walked around to meet this guy, his name was Tommy Clack, I was almost startled because he had two legs missing from the knee down, and one arm missing, and he reached out with the one army hand and shook my hand, and I was like, okay, this guy understands what freedom isn't free means. I found out he was a captain in the U.S. Army in Vietnam, and uh, I think a, uh, you know, a mine or something that he was involved in a firefight, and either a mine or a, Um, a grenade, something that that he was in a terrible explosion and almost died. He's got an incredible story about that. But he understood that freedom was not free. And he translated that not only in his own life, but in his faith in God. And whenever I think of him and I think of that phrase, freedom isn't free, whenever anybody says that, I think about Tommy Clack sitting in that wheelchair. He understood it. But there is and always has been a price that someone or some group has paid so that other people could have freedom. Is that not true? We're sitting here today because people have paid the price so that we could have the freedom to sit here and worship freely today. And we never completely get away from having some kind of rules or authority or, or constraints. They will always be a part of our life because there's always other people involved in our lives. I want you to listen carefully to the words of how our country was formed through seeking freedom and independence from Great Britain. You remember as you went through school, and some of y'all are in the middle of school, you talk about what is July 4th? I remember asking my kids on Friday, I said, what, what is July 4th all about? Thankfully, Way to go, Coweta County Schools. They know what that means, you know. They understand that, you know. And way to go, I guess, Craig and Melanie, at least a little bit. We've taught them what does that mean. And they knew that it was about our independence, our freedom from Great Britain. But in June 7, 1776, in a session in the Pennsylvania State House that would later be named Independence Hall, Richard Henry Lee of Virginia presented a resolution with these famous words, Resolved that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states, that they are absolved from any, from all allegiance to the British crown and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved. And that statement would be followed by a much larger document in which uh, Richard Henley book, resolution would be expanded. As we know, on July 4th, that document was ready. And after much thought and prayer and deliberation, a group of 13, and I underline this statement, united colonies came together in North America to present this declaration of independence from Great Britain. And I'm going to read a part of that. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary and to institute new government, laying its foundations on such principles and organizing its powers to, in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Now a lot of y'all have heard that, maybe in school or maybe it's a refresher. But if you think about that, in those words did you hear, they're not saying we're going to be free from any more government or any more rules. They're not saying that. They're recognizing, remember what was the big thing? taxation without representation. See, y'all know that wasn't right. And so they were leaving one form of rules and government for another more just government. So they weren't saying we're through with rules and we can do whatever we want. But no, there's something had to change. And that news, that declaration was shocking to many people, but it was not so surprising to others. And Great Britain reacted, as one might expect, by not accepting this declaration and without a fight. King George was not ready to give up his power or freedom to this group. And as we say, the rest is history. And we continue to celebrate our independence from Great Britain. But as I read those words, did you not recognize in that de- declaring independence, those involved acknowledge their need for people need to be governed, right? They need rules. People need to have foundational principles that they agree on that work for the best of everybody. People, It's a need for people to form organizing powers to help them. And they acknowledged in that document that there was a creator. There was a creator, God. And so I wonder about those founding fathers, and I would say founding fathers and mothers, those founding people that came up with all of this, what would they think? of our view of freedom today? If we could go to lunch with them and they had spent a week in our country watching the news and watching all that goes on in our country, what would they think about our view of freedom? I think they would have something to say to us at lunch, wouldn't they? What would they say to us today and compare to their struggles at that time compared to our struggles right now? It would be an interesting conversation. But we read early in the Bible that there was some very or there was a very simple foundational set of principles and rules in the garden of eden eden there's one tree that you can't eat from all the other ones you can eat from but this is the one rule you have don't eat from this tree but adam and eve were deceived they were deceived by satan into believing the lie that they could and would be better off if they were free and independent from god That's what Satan deceived them into believing. You don't need God. Matter of fact, he doesn't want you to eat from that tree because you will be like him. And then you can free yourself. You can be independent of him. You don't need him. And they fell for the lie because it wasn't true. And that decision haunted them for the rest of their lives as that decision has haunted us for all of our lives. They found out, as we all do, that living free and independent from an all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful God is impossible. You can't. It doesn't work out very well. And when Jesus Christ came to earth and introduced this new covenant, it was more than just setting people free from this old covenant of law and this old covenant of this sacrificial system. It was freeing people from their sin. And I underline there their sin, our sin. We were freed through Jesus Christ from our sin. Not just a cumulative sin of the country. No, I have and you have and all humanity has always had personal sin. Not two plus two equals five. Oh, I made a mistake. No, willful, selfish sin that separates me from God and from other people because of that willful, selfish sin. And it was freeing people not only from their sin, but the eternal consequences of separation from God. In this new covenant, there was still this expectation of obedience to God and to his laws because he is the creator. And see, when we want to be independent of God, when we want to say, I don't want to be, I don't want to have anything to do with God, I will be separated, I will be independent, that's not possible. But when we have that attitude, God goes, Okay, you can do that. But ultimately, when we in this life don't acknowledge God and who he is as creator and our savior, ultimately we will spend eternity exactly like we say we want, independent and free of God. That's sad. That's not what you want to be for eternity, separated, independent, and free from God. Because the alternative is certainly not good. But the motivation or the inspiration for obedience to this new covenant, for this new law, this new way of doing life that Jesus ushered in was through God's grace, a freedom, and an independence that's giving through the sacrifice of Jesus for all people. And Jesus' sacrifice was not free, was it? It cost Jesus everything on that cross. He gave his life. And the apostle Paul finally grasps this one day. And Paul talked a lot about freedom in his letters to those early Jesus followers. And Paul spent a good time, a good deal of time in prison so he understood what it was to be free and what it was to be in prison. But Paul also understood spiritually what it was to be in prison like he was in his early days. He was a legalist of all legalists. I can keep the law. And in his mind, he knew he really couldn't. But he gave the impression that he could keep the law. And he walked that walk and talked that talk. But inside, he knew I was really still a sinner. And when he finally met Jesus Christ, it changed him. It transformed him forever. And so when he ever saw or sensed or even smelled that somebody was going down the road of legalism, man, it would fire Paul up and he would say, don't do that. Don't put those chains on. I've been there it's a, cha- it's a prison with chains. You don't want to go there. And Paul made clear to the Galatians. I'm going to read from his letter to the Galatians in just a minute. Paul was warning the Jesus followers not to get caught up in that letter of the old law and covenant again. Legalism. There were those in the culture who were trying to, instead of bring people into Christianity, was to exclude people and go, well, yeah, the Jesus thing is good, but you still got to obey the law and you still need to be circumcised. And Paul goes, no, do not start that. It's not true. And there were those who were following these certain practices and trying to put that burden on others. And this completely ignored the work and the power of Jesus' grace through his death and resurrection. He had set us free. And Paul made them clear that it was for freedom that Christ had set them free. And he tells them not to let themselves be burdened again by the yoke or the bondage of slavery. And another word for freedom and independence is liberty. If you've read the King James any time in your life, you know where it says freedom. It says liberty, and all those words are interesting as we talk about this weekend and the founding of our country. But we're going to read in chapter five of Galatians where Paul talks a little bit more about what we were set free, why we were given independence, why we were given freedom, and what God really intends us to do with that. So we're going to read chapter five, starting in verse thirteen. But do forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. So Paul says a lot of stuff in that passage, doesn't he? A lot of powerful stuff. He says that you and I were created, we were called to be free. Free. And then he makes this statement about the use of our freedom. But free for what, Paul? And he tells us, do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Throughout history, we as humans have used our freedom to indulge in the flesh. What does that even mean? What does it mean to live by the flesh? The Greek word, the Greek term or the this sentence here says, do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for your flesh. What is the flesh? It's our sinful nature. It's a part of you and me that we all have as humans where I want to do what I want to do, how I want to do it, when I want to do it, and where I want to do it. And I don't really care if that affects you. I don't really care of the consequences right now because that's what I want right now. That's, we all have that, don't we? All of us have that. Now, it's easy for me to point that out in you <laughs> and you to point that out in me, but we all have that sinful nature. I want to indulge I want to pamper, I want to spoil myself and do whatever I want. Have you ever heard someone called a spoiled brat? Have you ever called somebody a spoiled brat? You're laughing because you've done that or heard that. And when you say that or when we hear someone say that, we understand what they mean. It's someone who demands to get their way most of the time. They want it how they want it. And most everybody goes, okay, okay, you can have your way. And they finally get their way. And by getting their way, they demand more and more for themselves at the expense of others. And it's always about them. And it's always what they want without ever these um, understanding or consideration of how it affects other people. And we say, you're a spoiled brat. It's all about you. And that's what Paul's talking about here. There's a part of all of us that's a spoiled brat we want to have our way. But he tells us that rather, you weren't called to be free to be a spoiled brat and get your way and do everything the way you want it. You were called to serve one another in love. And that's a huge difference, isn't it? A huge difference. He says, for all the rule followers, here's one command that covers all the rules. I know y'all like rules, so love your neighbor as yourself. And that's straight out of Jesus, isn't it? Jesus said when they were always about the laws, the, the religious leaders of the times, there's all these laws, you've got to do this, this, this. He goes, I know about the laws. I made them. But y'all have drugged in from the Old Covenant to now. When we open the New Testament, all of a sudden, did you realize there were 600 new laws in the law then that were man-made rules? 600 extra from the law of Moses. And Jesus says, let me just break it down for you to two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And Paul is, is tracking right along with Jesus here. You were set free to love your neighbor as yourself. Now think about that. Do that. And Paul says the way to combat our fleshly self-centered desires. Is for us to walk in the spirit. And he means the Holy Spirit. When we confess Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. When we understand that He died for us and we want to name Him as our Savior and our Lord, we invite Him not just to be our Savior. Oh, thanks for saving me, but I don't want to have anything to do with you. No, we invite Him to be our Savior. Thank you, but now I want you to be my Lord. That means lead my life. When we do that, We are baptized into Him, and we receive this wonderful thing called the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit of God. It is the Spirit of Jesus' Son who lives in us. Jesus the Son, God the Father. It lives in us to guide us and help us discern how we're to act, how we're to react every day. And Paul says we are to walk in that Spirit. And when I think about walking, that means if I want to walk with you, I don't want to walk in front of you. I don't want to walk behind you. I want to walk what? beside you. And that's what God wants to do. Walk with us so I can look at you. We can talk. I can hear you. We're walking together down the same path. And even though the Spirit is leading us, the Spirit wants to walk with us. It's an invitation. And He gives us two lists. And in one of those lists, He says, the acts of the flesh, the selfish brat ways, are obvious, He says. And He lists them, all those things. And when you read that list, those Things in that list are very obvious to see in people sometimes, aren't they? It's pretty clear when someone's drunken. Pretty obvious to see that. There's things we go, yeah, and we seem to focus on other people's, those things that we can see. Yeah, that person's not living by the Spirit. Do you see that? It's obvious you can see. But some of those things in that list, as I thought about it, we don't want to talk about much because they're not obvious. Paul says they're obvious, and eventually they will be obvious. But think about Can you really tell if someone, someone can be subtle about creating discord, can't they? Someone can be subtle about being jealous. Someone can be subtle about, subtle about their hatred. Someone can be subtle about selfish ambition or dissensions or factions or envy, can't they? But Paul says all of those things when we practice those, when we live like that. He says, when you live like this, you won't inherit, you won't get this inheritance of the kingdom of God. And God has an inheritance for you. He has a plan for you. But you're never going to inherit that if you're living like those things. They're not of the Spirit. They are selfish actions for oneself. And they may be more obvious. And some of them, sometimes we want to focus more. See, I want to point out yours and go, oh yeah, it's obvious that you're doing that. But I'm not focusing on the maybe the subtle things that I need to work on. And they're just as selfish, and they're just as destructive, and they are just as enslaving as the ones that are obvious. And living like this keeps us from inheriting the kingdom of God. And then there's the other list. He says, that's those things. Don't live like a spoiled brat. Don't do those things. But here's the other. But the fruit of the Spirit, living in the Spirit is like this. It's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's... I always want to say patience, our version says forbearance. But all those things, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law, Paul says. And this is a list about acts and actions that show that I'm not indulging just in me. I'm thinking about you. I'm thinking about the family. I'm thinking about the business. I'm thinking about the other workers. I'm thinking about the other drivers. I'm thinking about the other people around me at the ball game. I'm thinking about other people in this situation. I'm considering what God wants me to do in this situation. I'm not being a self-centered, spoiled brat. I'm thinking of others. And notice Paul's next sentence. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Paul gives us a powerful world picture. And notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, just try harder to stop being a spoiled brat. Just try harder not to be selfish. No, he doesn't say. He gives us a word picture. And he says, you have to crucify those selfish desires in your life. And he uses that analogy of they understand what crucifixion means in that world. Rome made it very obvious. They wanted people to see that if you do this, this is what could happen to you. And Paul's saying, take that image and get those things out of your life that are selfish. Nail them to the cross and watch them die. Now we know that crucifixion was a cruel and long, painful death. It took a long time. And Paul understands that when we start putting those selfish desires on the cross to crucify them, it can be a long process, can it? Of letting those things die in our life. He understands that, but he gives us that powerful word picture. If we belong to Jesus, we have crucified the flesh, and that's what we have to constantly be doing. We have to put our way, our desires, to have it our way on a cross and nail it there until it is dead. That's what crucifixion means. But are you and I really willing to do that, to experience true freedom, true liberty, and independence? And some of us don't really believe that, so we hold on to some of that, but we have to crucify it. I want to share a couple of illustrations, if I could, Um this, uh, this, as I close uh, this, uh, this morning, one is a, a blog, that um, an article I, I, I ran across by a girl, a lady named Sarah Bessie. And she gives this example of talking about what Paul's talking about. And she begins by admitting that she had been, she's a, a believer, follower of Jesus. But she says, I, I had been a lover and a consumer of wine throughout adulthood, but it never really bothered me in the least. But I have learned that when you're walking with Jesus, the Holy Spirit is always up to something. And when it comes to conviction, I have found the Spirit to be gentle but relentless in my life. Change and transformation is an ongoing process. And we begin to sense that this thing that used to be okay is not necessarily okay anymore. And the thing that used to mean freedom has become bondage in my life. Because a year ago, I knew God wanted me to stop drinking. Oh, I had all the excuses for why I could keep enjoying my wine in the evenings. I work hard, I give so much. I'm not an alcoholic, I'm never hungover. It doesn't affect my life. It's social, it's fun for crying out loud. Paul even mentions in the Bible to Timothy that he should take a little wine for his stomach. But I begin to be haunted by the writer of Hebrews who said, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. I begin to wonder why I was resisting throwing off the weight of alcohol, why I was so determined to keep running my race with this habit that had begun to feel so heavy. In my soul, I could see the Holy Spirit practically jogging alongside of me to say every now and again, aren't you ready to put that heavy weight down yet? I think it's time you stop this one. It looks like to me it's getting heavier the longer you hold on to it. And she goes on to mention the dangers of legalism, just like Paul. But she concludes, but in our steering away from legalism, I wonder if we left the road to holiness... Or begin to forget that God also cares about what we do and how we do it and why. God also cares about what we do, how we do it, and why. Conviction is less about condemnation than it is about invitation. It's an invitation into freedom. It's an invitation into wholeness. And isn't that the way Jesus presented God to everybody? An invitation to leave your old life. And I go back to, that's why I think this chosen, I know I mention this a lot, but they do such a good job of the Jesus in that. You go, that's Jesus. He's inviting people out of their way. He's not condemning them, but he's inviting them out of their bondage into freedom, into wholeness. And that's why Jesus was so convicting to so many people, because they realized he was inviting them. God the Father has called us to freedom from sin. Jesus died. Jesus died so that we could truly be free from sin. The Holy Spirit, and I love her illustration, runs alongside of us and reminds us and convicts us not to use our freedom for selfish desires. Don't be a spoiled brat. Don't do that. It's a call, it's an invitation by the Holy Trinity for transformation in our lives. God the Father calls us to that. Jesus gave us that example, and the Holy Spirit walks along, runs alongside of us and reminds us of that. So I had another illustration but I want to show a video if I could just in closing today about people who have really understood freedom in a way that probably none of us ever will or can really understand. But let's watch this if we could right now.
1: There was no freedom.
2: Is like have a like really hard life and they go into the jail and then government kill them.
1: The entire Sudanese civil war is started in my hometown. Everybody's corrupted. Everyone is corrupted. There's the rebels, there's all these people fighting. They call you slave.
2: Government don't let to us to go to the church.
1: They came on the land and, you know, they were just just, just killing everybody.
2: Well, I talked to my neighbor about Jesus.
1: What they did, they fired on us. So everybody had to jump into the water.
2: Her mother started believing to Jesus, and then her husband killed her.
1: It was a nightmare getting separated from your parents. That night, we were just seeing bullets, like... I thought they were fireflies, but they were actually bullets.
2: Her husband said, if I find who taught about you to the Jesus, I'm going to find them and I'm going to kill them too.
1: We escaped and got into the mountains, into the forest. We had actually run uh, quite fast indeed.
2: My parents, they say, like, we can't live here anymore.
1: And we found ourselves in a refugee camp in Ethiopia. I lived in a refugee camp for seven years.
2: And we went to the United Nations.
1: I did always pray about getting to a better place. Now that I've come here, I've got the freedom to go to school, um, study what I want, be who I want.
2: You can wear whatever you want. You can go to the church.
1: Here, I have opportunities. I'm studying biotechnology engineering and uh, graphic designing. My master's uh, in accounting.
2: After I finished college, I want to be a lawyer.
1: God always takes up the chill and on us. I've asked him everything I've ever wanted and everything I've gotten.
2: I mean, I saw how God is good.
0: powerful isn't it they understand that freedom is not free thing but this morning as i as i close i want to give an invitation again god the father god the son god the holy spirit invites us into relationship transform transforming relationship that we say no to that sinful fleshly life and yes to that godly life the, the life in the spirit and maybe there's someone here today that needs to start that journey and it's a journey you start right where you are and god accepts us right where we are to transform us into who he's always created us to be so we're going to offer that invitation as the um our praise team comes on up to lead us and we're going to have a a song that they're going to lead us in and if you have a decision to make i'll be right here to try to walk you through that or if you need prayer we'll be right here to pray with you Um, but also we uh During this time, prepare our hearts for communion. And uh, if you're visiting here uh, today for the first time, we take communion or the Lord's Supper every Sunday as part of our worship service. If you're here today visiting for the first time, we invite you to be a part of that. If you are a believer and you're comfortable, you don't have to be a member of our church. But we do this to remind us again that our freedom that, that God has called us to is not free. That Jesus paid dearly His life so that we could have that forgiveness of sins, and we could have that independence and that freedom, but eternally with God. So we're going to prepare our hearts for that, but if you have a decision, I'll be right here as the band leads us. Let's stand and sing together.